0: In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who comes to you saying they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I wanna invite you to apply for a YouGurus strategy call where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your strategy call. Go to yougurus.com apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of The Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we are hanging out with a dear friend of mine, Stephanie Jones. She is founder and president of Feed Media Public Relations and Marketing based here in Denver, Colorado. She's a 20-person agency. She's been doing this for uh, about 16 years. She has clients like the Ritz-Carlton, Taos Ski Valley, Larimer Square, Microsoft, SAP, and lots of other hospitality, tourism, chefs, restaurants, technology, architecture, and real estate firms. Stephanie, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, Brent. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here.
0: So Stephanie, can you tell us a little bit about um, why you started your agency to begin with?
1: Yeah. Um, So I had been working at PR agencies, um, some of the larger ones. I worked at um, Ogilvy and also at the Hoffman Agency and um, decided to go out into marketing and be on the corporate side. So I've been doing that for a few years and just realized marketing wasn't for me and uh, actually ended up at a wedding, uh, one of those weddings where you only know the bride or the groom. and So my husband and I were in the back of the room and he said, well, if you won the lottery, what would you do? And I said, well, I'd probably just do PR, but for free, for really worthy nonprofits or organizations. And he said, you should really start your own firm. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. So we talked through the why. And then he finally said, okay, well, how much could you charge an hour if you had your own firm? And I threw out a number. And he did the math on a napkin, literally cliche on a napkin. And we realized that if I just worked, um, you know, like 40 hours a week and took a month of vacation, I'd make two and a half times what I was currently making at my job. So we got back from the wedding. And on Monday morning, I quit my job and um, hung out my shingle. And the company I had been working for said, well, if you're going to do your own thing, we'll hire you. So I had a client right out of the gate. And then a former boss of mine said, he was actually at Microsoft, said, hey, we'd like to hire you. So um, within 24 hours of kind of deciding to leave the traditional corporate world, I had two clients. And that was 16 years ago. and, um, And so that's evolved ever since then.
0: And have you always worked 40 hours a week with a month off? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, no, you know, you know, the answer to that. No, I work 70 hours a week. And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, I'll, you know I, I own my own firm. So I'm just going to take Fridays off and go skiing. And I'm just going to do half days. And I, I always say, I always remind myself that I can do that, but I never actually do it. I do. Uh, as you know, Brent, every year I take about um, 12 days. And I go on a boat in the middle of the Caribbean that my aunt lives on and uh, just literally unplug entirely. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no cell service. You can't text me. And that's really, um, it's my like peace point. I kind of touchstone back to myself over those 14 days and remind myself what it's like not to be surrounded by work. But uh, I really, you know, much like you, I think I just love it. I love the work. I love the hustle. I love the job. Um, I think they're just people who are suited to it. And I feel grateful that I think I'm one of them.
0: Well, I think if you're, you know, if if the question was, what would you do if if you didn't have to make money and you would do it, you know, do this job for free? I mean, obviously that that that's a good litmus test for for having a passion for something. For our audience, um, that's primarily digital agency owners. Uh, you know, some of them might have heard what PR agencies do. You know, I think a lot of PR agencies are probably getting into the digital space in terms of social and all that kind of stuff. But can you maybe just help our audience if they're not familiar with actually what a PR agency does? Can you just give like a quick, like you know, a uh, few seconds on what what PR is at a fundamental level?
1: That's such a good question. Um, I really appreciate you doing that because. Um, even my mom doesn't know what PR is. Like she'll literally make introductions to people saying like, so-and-so's daughter wants to get into advertising. And I'm like, I don't do that. She still doesn't know. So um, PR obviously is public relations and it is, um, it's the, it's the art and the science of positively impacting our clients' businesses in any way possible. So any public communications that go out on behalf of a client are generally handled by a PR agency. And we do that through a variety of tools. So one would be, um, you know, your traditional press release, which we do fewer and fewer of, but really it's kind of taking uh, our clients' businesses and figuring out what the really compelling stories are. So you might have a CEO with a really cool background, or you might have a product that's, you know, changing lives or impacting people, or you might, um, you know, just have, uh, for example, in the restaurant world, you might have a dish that's really compelling that Food & Wine Magazine wants to write about. So what we do is kind of serve as these middlemen between our clients and the media. And the media now, it used to be the media was kind of traditional media. It was newspapers, magazines, online, and TV. And now that's really evolved into influencers and um, bloggers and you know people who aren't traditional press. So that audience has grown exponentially. But our job remains the same, which is how do I get my client's story in front of the public in a way that is compelling enough that it generates revenue for my clients? So whether that's a resort, getting more bookings, or whether that's... SAP, selling more of their tools. And in, in all cases, we want somebody to read about, hear about, or learn about a business. And that, therefore, will inspire individuals to want to engage with that company uh, at some level. So that's also evolved into things like social media, SEO. Um, you know, we're doing a lot more in digital, but we are certainly not the experts. Um, we outsource a lot of that digital work to the people who do it best. But our, our tool belt has gotten a lot heavier. We used to have maybe two tools. Now we have about eight. Um, But basically PR is people hire publicists because they want to get more positive attention on behalf of their products, CEOs, or businesses.
0: I remember when, um, when we had first launched YouGurus, I was, uh, I don't even know if you remember this, but we were using guest publishing. Like I would write an authority article and get it published on, you know, a publisher. Right. And I, I thought this was like so genius. Like we were getting traffic and all this like instant credibility. And I I came and you and I were meeting, I think as a part of EO or something. And, and um, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like my big win was that we got like, we got published. I was like, can you guys believe this? Like you get so much traffic. And you were like looking at me and you were like, Brent, that's, PR. That's, that's like, what we do. That's what I do for a living. Like, I was acting <laughs> like this was like something like so amazing. Like, you know, you guys got to like learn about this. And you were just like, no, this is what I do for a living. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. I was like, oh, I get well, that's this.
1: A, that's a really interesting one because we, you know, that's actually a program we do exactly that, which is we call executive visibility, right? So we take Brent Weaver and we say, all right, Brent, what are the four topics that you are most expert on or that you want to be perceived as most expert on? And then we flush those topics out and, you know, generally they're of interest and they're exciting and pretty sexy. And then we pitch those to the editors and we say, hey, this guy, Brent, he is brilliant at this thing. And we would love to have him write an article about this topic. And the editor comes back and goes, I love that. We'd like to put it in our uh, November issue. Why don't you get me 800 words by, uh, you know, a week from Friday with a headshot of Brent. And then generally we write that, but sometimes you write it. I mean, if you're a good writer, we often have CEOs who do like to write. They'll write it, we'll edit it, and then we'll submit it. And it's this great byline article by Brent Weaver about like this incredible industry topic. And at the bottom, it says, Brent Weaver is founder and CEO of YouGurus. He, he lives in Denver, Colorado. If you want to contact him, here's his email. And then that way, you actually measure your inbound traffic based on that article. And you can say, oh, my gosh, we did that one article in the industry publication, and I got 30 inbound emails. And then we did that other one. And that was in, you know, a vertical uh, media outlet. I only got three. And so that we do more of the industry. So we know that the other one didn't work as well. But yeah, that was hilarious. We were like, you're not going to believe I got this article placed. And I was <laughs> like, "You, you know, that's what I do, right? <laughs> I do remember that. That was awesome.
0: Well, and I think the more I, you know, understood about what you, what, what PR is and what you guys do. I mean, it kind of in a way... Um, I don't know if it got rid of some of the magic or the mysticism. You know, I'll just give you an example. Like, you see somebody on the cover of Ink Magazine, and I think before you understand right. how PR works, you think, oh, Ink Magazine must have gone out and sought out, like, this person. And the more I started to understand about PR from learning from you, the more I understood, like, there's a pretty high probability that that story was pitched to them, that that was the only reason that person's on the cover is because somebody... Pitch them a story, and Ink says, "Okay, we want this one, not this one." Like they're making decisions, they're filtering, yeah. but they're probably—I mean, maybe they are going out and seeking out stories, but I mean, they're also responding heavily to people in the PR space.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting when I when I um, met my husband, and I was in PR, and I explained what PR was. He, he just imagined like Jimmy Olsen, right? Like with his like press hat going out and scooping up stories. And I was like, yeah, no, that doesn't happen. Like no reporters are wandering around town waiting for news to happen. You know, with the advent of email, um, basically they sit at their desk and they get pitches from people like me all day. And if you're good at your job, then your pitch is more compelling than anybody else's. But PR gets begets PR also, right? So like, I just got the recent issue of Entrepreneur Magazine and Elon Musk is on the cover, right? But like, his PR team didn't pitch that. He's at a point in his career where they now get inbound calls. An entrepreneur, probably a year ago, was like, We want to put you on the cover. And they're like, mm, He's kind of busy. Let's figure out if we can do that uh, for the November issue. Right. And then they did that interview six months ago. They did the photo shoot five months ago. They did the fact checking four months ago. And then that goes to print. But I guarantee you, his PR team didn't have to pitch that because he's at that level. Mm. But then you might get, you know, an ink magazine and it might have like, this female entrepreneur of like um, some sort of dialysis company that you've never heard of. In that case, it's most likely that her PR team did pitch that and gave them enough compelling reasons as to why she and her company are unique that they said, this is really interesting. And she's a darling on Wall Street. And so let's put her on the cover. But that's more of the PR pitch. So the more famous you get, the more easy it is for your PR team. But when I boil it down to like the lowest common denominator, I often say, our job is to make you famous. And by you, it could be you personally, your business, your product, but PR's job is to get more people to know about you and what you do in order to want to buy from you. And so we basically, our job is to make you famous by whatever means necessary.
0: So once, once I'm at Elon Musk's level, then it, the, 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 (laughs) the, situation the system changes right there's at some point it the momentum catches and the the system feeds itself so um i will i will keep keep at at this
1: point like his pr team is just filtering right they're not pitching anymore they're like Mm. whoa we have a hundred inquiries we have to filter through and decide which 20 we're going to do yeah Um, unless elon comes to them and says hey guys uh, i want to be on the cover of forbes In that case, the PR team might reach out to the editor of Forbes and be like, hi, we're going to be in New York. We'd love to set up a face-to-face for you with Elon and have a conversation about where uh, the future of space travel is going. And so they've kind of come up with that idea and they've come up with the topic and then they prepare Elon for the interview with the messaging and then he goes and delivers it and the editor goes, I love that. That's a really interesting story. Let me talk to my team and we might want to do a cover on that. So it's a little bit of a negotiation. But yeah, at that point, the PR team shifts from being proactively pitching to basically receiving the inbounds and deciding which ones they want to pursue.
0: One of the things that when you
1: become Elon Musk, (laughs) you can just call me. Okay.
0: (laughs) So so PR, I mean, I guess for, for, I mean, even just hearing you kind of talk through that, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm trying to bring this back down to like the agency level, the, 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 the one to 10 person business that's kind of out there. I mean, if you have no celebrity yet, Right. I mean, you're going to use PR right. to help you build that if that's the right method to grow your business. And maybe at some point it becomes less of an outbound outreach thing and more of a we're going to inbound and strategize like where you're going to spend your time to maximize that. So you're, you know, a, per, a company like you is is always involved or could always be involved, whether the company is super well known and they're getting a lot of inbound or if they're, you know, trying to build up that momentum.
1: Yeah. In either case, yes. And we've we've actually worked with a lot of digital agencies over the years as clients. So, I mean, I I can actually talk about some of the stuff we've done for, you know, digital agencies. We represented them to get them more attention and more business. So, I mean, we've actually represented, I think, three different digital agencies over the years.
0: In terms of how to help agencies, uh, and you mentioned you worked with three agencies what are some things that an agency could do in PR to use PR, use publications, use these types of uh, resources to grow their agency, become more of an authority and get more clients?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that what we talked about earlier with the executive visibility program, that's a really good thing to focus on, particularly if your agency specializes in an industry or a specific, um, you know, kind of, uh, style of, um, development. Um, one of the agencies we worked for was actually Phil Lockwood's agency. And I know you and Phil are really good friends and we used to work for creation chamber and they were like, how are we going to get people to recognize how good we are? And so, um, they had spent the better part of a year chasing down uh, the Denver Broncos as a client. And the story about it was so hilariously interesting that literally, and I tell the story all the time. It's such a great story they had this really stellar salesperson. And she kept calling on the guy who was responsible for the the, the website development for the Broncos. And she called him and he said, no, we're not going to hire you. And she called him and he said, no, we're not going to hire you. And then she called him and he said, we're doing an RFP, but I'm not going to hire you. She goes, I'll tell you what, if you let me respond to the RFP, I will never call you again. He said, fine. So just to get rid of her, he allowed her to respond to the RFP for the Broncos website. And you know, you know where the story is going. They end up getting the business. And what was so interesting about the story was that, Every proposal that the Broncos got was from an agency who had done tons of work in the NFL. And everyone was saying, well, we're going to do for you what we did for the Bengals. Or we're going to do for you what we did for the Redskins. And Creation Chamber was like, blew the roof off. They're like, we've never done NFL work. And so this is what we're going to do for you. It was totally fresh and completely new and so thoughtful. And so the Broncos ended up hiring this like, relatively small, relatively scrappy at the time, firm to do this insanely high visibility project. So rather than try to pitch like web web design, we pitched the story about this kind of NFL juggernaut deciding to hire this very small and very innovative agency instead of going with the big agency in San Francisco or in New York. So the story wasn't necessarily about like what program they were going to use, it was more about how exciting it is to have these really smart and and exciting agencies right here in our backyard. And how great it was that instead of going outside of our market, they chose somebody here. So that was a giant front page story in the Denver Post about like Denver Broncos select, you know, um, local agency for, you know, complete redesign of their web presence. And it was a huge story. It had photos, they came and interviewed us. It was just awesome. But sometimes that's the biggest challenge for a digital agency is like, we know what we do. We just don't know what the story is, right? And so you have to have somebody come in and be like, "Yeah, that's not interesting, and that's not interesting, but that is." And it'll be the thing you never thought was that interesting. You're like, "Really? That?" We never really thought much of that. So um, I think you know, a lot of times digital agencies—it's a little bit of um, "cobbler's children have no shoes," right? They're like, "Look, you know, we just—we're so busy doing the work that we do that we're not busy enough promoting ourselves." Um, And so I think thinking about what are those things that we do that are special? What are the stories that we tell? Is it something maybe about our founders that's really interesting or compelling or that they came from struggle? But um, a publicist, a good publicist, will help you pull out what those compelling stories are, and then they'll figure out who to seed them out to to get them um, the most traction.
0: And I think that's something that's so different about PR than, say, traditional marketing or advertising where you can control the channel, you can control the, you know, if you think about, you know, Facebook ads, I can go to Facebook and I can say, hey, as long as it meets their advertising criteria, I can say exactly what I want with the exact image that I want, whereas you all have a little bit more of a challenge in that you have to come up with a story to get, you know, Denver Post to like take the bite, like to 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 take the pitch or the scoop, and then they are probably going to write their own story. I mean, most of the time, right? I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna get the overall concept from you, but they're gonna they have a lot of control.
1: Yeah, so you have to be super type A and TR. I mean, like the amount of control that I want to have over every article is is terrifying. Like, I, I create the messaging, right? I create a briefing document. If you're my client. You get background on the reporter. You get background on the uh, media outlet. You get suggested messaging. You get questions we think you're going to get. We prepare you in advance because everything you deliver as the client becomes fodder for the reporter. So there's a lot of reporters who will like try to get you really comfortable and get you talking off the record, air quotes, and then they utilize that and put that into an article. Um, and I remember years ago I was working with a, a very, very top tier uh, web design firm out of the D.C. area. And the reporter was with um, US News and World Report, was on the phone with him. I was on the call and the reporter got him talking and he was just chit-chatting and they were talking about like bars they went to and then they were talking about this concert that my client had gone to and I could see him getting really comfortable and I was like, this is not good. We got to tighten this up. And he, my client, and that even though we had told him anything you say during this interview can be used in the story. I'm not joking, out loud, he was talking about this concert and he said, oh yeah, it was totally bitchin'. He said bitchin'. And I was like, okay, who says that? (laughs) Then the reporter put in the story that this is the kind of CEO who says things like, quote, it's totally bitchin'. And I was like, you did say that, okay? Like, I know it's out of context. He was furious and his boss was furious. And that's one of the things that's so difficult is you're right. If you pay to place an ad, it will say whatever you want it to say. But think about just use a magazine as an example. If you open up a magazine and on the left side of the page is a full page ad for uh, you gurus, and on the right side of the page is this like three page editorial about like this company that's changing the world and how powerful it is and how many people have been helped by it. Like, this is on the right side, that's third party credibility saying that what you do is important and compelling. And on the left side, every consumer in the world knows you paid for that. So when you read a magazine, at least I do, I ignore the ad. I bought the magazine because I wanted to read the editorial content. I ignore the ads because I know that that's just something I have to deal with, like annoying calls that come in when you're eating dinner. But I, I deal with it and I ignore it, whereas I purchased the magazine to read the article with Elon Musk on the cover, right? Yeah. So my company deals with the editorial content, the stuff that has third-party and objective value to it. And then there are ad agencies who can buy that page for you for $17,000 and you can put whatever you want on it. But the editorial is unpaid, except that you're paying a PR agency. Uh, we had a client get a six page feature in Inc Magazine earlier this year. It was a six page feature on him and his company and how amazing he is and how he's changing the industry. And we did, um, a, a they call it an ad value, where you take six pages of an article And you add up how much each page costs to put an ad. And so it was six pages times 17,000 per page. So it was over $100,000 in ad value for this one article that we hadn't paid for. Mm. So I'm obviously not, I'm not objective when it comes to like advertising versus public relations, but you can, you can understand as a consumer, how you react to a paid ad versus an article by one of their editors.
0: Because, I mean, you could almost even argue that that's because it's editorial. There's value beyond just the the ad value, right? Because it's it's got that oh, different yes, authority sure. lens. One thing, Stephanie, I wanted to, sure. to, to, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by your model. You've got a 20-person agency, which is, um, and, and you've been doing this a while. It's not like you started your agency yesterday. But can you tell us a little bit about what your agency looks like today? Just kind of paint us a picture. Um, you know, I mentioned 20 people, but like, how are you guys set up?
1: Yeah, we have um, a little bit of an unusual model, um, but it's worked really, really well for us. So uh, we are a virtual agency, uh, by which I mean everybody works from home uh, the majority of the time. And we did that on purpose. I started hiring the absolute top talent in the PR industry. And these are people who had been at agencies for 10 to 15 years. They, you know, kind of paid their dues. They'd kind of been through the churn of the agency environment. And they didn't want to be at an, like a traditional agency anymore. But like me, they love PR. They love the job. They just didn't want to be in that cycle. So I started handpicking the absolute top talent in the industry and saying to them, I'm going to pay you really well. You're going to work from your home. You're going to have total flexibility. You're going to have the freedom to work on the accounts you want. And you're going to work as many hours as you want. So if you want to work 20 hours a week, great. You want to work 50 hours a week, that's great. But we will totally scale this model to fit your lifestyle. And so I would say um, right now we have three full-time staff, so myself and two others at very, very high levels, kind of C-level. And then everybody else is some form of contractor. So we have 17 people who contract with us everything from 20 hours a month to 140 hours a month, depending on their desires. But it's enabled a couple of things. One is it allows us to retain talent because nobody wants to go back to the traditional agency environment and nobody wants to go back to sitting at a desk all day from eight o'clock to six o'clock, even if their job is done. So because we're hiring grownups, we're hiring people who've done this for a very long time. They don't require a lot of oversight. That's been really interesting. And I, then... I um, like... Just, you know,
0: just... Can I can I call attention to the... We're hiring grownups? I mean, is it... Everybody... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, no, I, I mean, cause I, mean, I think, that is true. <laughs> when, well, when I, when I started my agency and, and, you know, we were, I, I, I fell into this trap of trying to hire cheap, you know, young yeah. talent. And I, I can't tell you how much babysitting I had to do because of that. Like there was a trade-off. I mean, yes, it was cheaper talent and you probably pay a lot more for your grown up talent. Uh, but I mean, there's, I think there's something to be said about that, that there's a cost to having to manage and micromanage and kind of train people up. And and you said, look, we're not doing that. We're just hiring the best.
1: Well, it's interesting too, because when you say that, Brent, like in my mind, I'm like that, that was your time spent babysitting those people. Like your time in, in your company is most valuable when you are being strategic and visionary. And as you all, you have taught me really well to say, working on the business, not in the business. And if you are spending your time babysitting young talent or trying to get people to do it the way you like it, I've just found that it's just not a good use of my time. And my clients don't appreciate it. My clients love that when they come to feed media, they get people who are total rock stars. We don't, you know, come, I don't come in and pitch the business and then like replace myself with a 22 year old. Um, it's a, a kind of a well-known practice in the PR industry. So when we go into new business, we say, we only hire people with at least 10 years of agency experience. And people go, okay, because most people in, in the client world have been burned by PR agencies who bait and switch. They bring in this amazing talent, the contract gets signed, and they give you three 23-year-olds. So and for me, it's just a, it's a sanity saver to have such incredibly talented and capable and competent professionals. Um, and, and it's challenging, too, because we're, we're virtual. We don't have the means to groom young talent. And there's a part of me that feels very badly about that We get, I don't know, 70 resumes a year of people who want internships or want entry-level jobs. And we don't have anything like that. Because we're virtual, we're not in an environment where I can have some recent college graduate watch what I do all day and be a part of all my meetings. And so there's a part of me as as an entrepreneur and as a business owner that has some guilt around not grooming the next generation. But for us, this has just been such a clean and efficient model. It's also, as you might imagine, insanely profitable because we don't have an office, because we're not paying parking or for furniture or for computers or everybody as a contractor has all their own stuff. So it's almost, aside from all the tools we use, which are very expensive and there's lots of them, it's it's so profitable because we have a, a flat billing rate and then we pay our contractors a percentage of that. So every hour our contractors are working at that lower rate, we make money. So times 20, right? So we're not paying our contractors the full hourly rate that we bill our clients. And depending on their amount of experience, there's all different rates. So we might have somebody that's uh, you know, $60 an hour, we might have somebody that's 110 an hour, but we're billing out between 150 and 175 an hour. So every hour that those 20 people, myself included are working, we're making a percentage of that hourly. And that's really been um, a little bit of the secret sauce uh, of how we've been so successful is that uh, we pay our contractors very well. We pay them a very high hourly, but even at the highest hourly, we're minimally making 50 to 75 an hour every hour they work on that one person. So, um, you're welcome. That is the secret sauce. I feel like my work here is done. I've given you
0: everything. And (laughs) everything is, um, I mean, I think, I don't, I mean, because your model is pretty clear and it is based on hours and every hour, I mean, in a way, like every hour billed is an hour accounted for for you. Like you, you're billing against that. It's not like you're saying, okay, here's. And I don't know if you do any fixed price work, but I mean, it's you're not saying, okay, here's, you know, a 10k project. It might take 50 hours. It might take 150 hours. I don't know. Like I mean, I think a lot of agencies still find them, themselves in that situation where they have. Team, ta- team time that is unprofitable, but your model, it's like always profitable, like every hour is profitable assuming, I mean, I'm sure you have issues where you probably have time where you don't bill hours or, you know, give, you know, cut, I-, I don't know if you have any situations where you don't get paid for the hour you work, but I mean, I imagine you get paid for most of them, and so that creates a very scalable yeah, model.
1: Yeah, I think um, we're we're fortunate in our industry because we don't really do project work, and I think um, you know, a lot of cases in, in, in any service is business. It's project to project. So for us, our work is all recurring revenue. And so if you imagine you're, um, you're Microsoft and you hire our firm to represent three of your um, business divisions, um, we don't do that on a project basis. We do that ongoing because it's a you build the PR effort over time and you build momentum around it like Elon Musk. Nobody knew his name 20 years ago. They've built him over time, right? I keep using that that, that example because he's literally looking at me from the cover of Entrepreneur magazine <laughs> next to my desk. Um, but the you know the the idea being that you know you, you you kind of are in our world everything is recurring, so we don't we don't finish a project in three months or six months. It's literally month to month, or sometimes for years. Towsky uh, Valley has been an insane client. They're an amazing client to work with, but they've been our client for thirteen years. So, um, that's been really helpful too, because we're not, we're not constantly um, spiking. And then, you know, we don't have a lot of peaks and valleys as a very consistent month to month revenue stream. And that gives our team constant um, income. They can really depend on it, even though they're contractors, they have a very dependable income month to month. But the way that we propose our budgets is we'll say, okay, what do you want to accomplish? And our clients tell us we want to increase revenue. We want to, um, get people contacting us about working for us. There's all kinds of goals. And we'll say, okay, knowing that, we put together this program and we know in order to accomplish those goals, we need X number of hours per month of ongoing you know, pitching and writing and securing articles and setting up interviews. So maybe we say it's 60 hours a month that we're going to need. And we bill against that. So it's not a retainer. I don't, I don't believe in retainers. We'll say, for example, we think it's going to take us 60 hours a month to accomplish this goal over time. And if we only bill 55 hours, then we only bill you for that. But if we have to go over, if it takes us more time than that and there wasn't a scope change, we'll no charge that time. So I'd say in a given month, let's just say, uh, let's say in a given month, we bill a thousand hours. I would probably say in a given month, we might no charge maybe 10 hours in a given month. So very, very little. I mean, sometimes we have to go above and beyond if something comes up and we need to handle it, but we don't no charge very often. And in cases where we have to, it's usually because the client has asked us for something out of scope, in which case I'll say, we can totally do that, but we're going to need an extra 18 hours. And the client goes, no problem. Go ahead and add that to the invoice this month.
0: That's really cool. I, I just, I love the simplicity of it and that it is um, something where you're. Your time and really your team's time on the accounts is, for the most part, assuming that it's it's something that's on on target with your estimates or your budget or whatever, um, is is uh, is accounted for. I mean, it is it's a profitable hour, right? I think a lot of agencies struggle with just coming up with a profitable business model what's something, I mean, you have 20, 20 people in your agency and you have some really, really big name clients. I mean, what are some of the things that you've been able to do in order to scale the business and to, to earn that much business of some of the names I mentioned earlier, like Ritz Carlton and uh ski Valley and Microsoft.
1: Yeah. Um, I, what's interesting is, um, we, we literally take on business only by referral. Um, and I think, um, people listening to this podcast will get this because if you do great work, if your work is really stellar, um, other people take notice of it and go, man, I want, I want my job done like that. Right. So, uh, everybody that comes to us comes through referral, they'll call somebody and say, Hey, I really like that story you got, uh, you know, in the wall street journal, how did you get that to happen? And our clients go, Oh, we've got this great PR firm. Well, can you give me their number? So it's, you, you, most people hire a, a PR firm the way that they hire a lawyer. They ask somebody, who do you use and do you like them? Um, so that's been really interesting. But one of the other things that we did that I think is really um, is revelatory for me was um, I used to not take new business meetings if I didn't know I wanted the business. And then we got a call about five years ago from a CEO of a company that I was familiar with. I didn't, I didn't have a strong opinion about them being positive. And he said, yeah, you know, I really want to meet with you. And I really want to you know, discuss possibly working together. And I had initially said, I'm not going to take it. But my, my, my colleague said, yeah, you really should just take the meeting. And so I went and met with him. And we sat down and we had an interesting conversation. But I didn't feel like the, the meeting had gone very well. Uh, it just wasn't a very good kind of um, uh, culture fit. We just didn't, we didn't really vibe. I kept kind of like trying to make light and crack some jokes. And he'd just stare at me flatly. And I was like, yeah, this is not going well. <laughs> so I walk out. And the next day he called me and he's like, okay, we want to hire you guys. And I was, I literally said to him, Brent, I was like, you, you know, you just called Stephanie Jones, right? You <laughs> He laughed and He's like, no, I know who this is. I'm like, okay. Cause I did not think that meeting went well. He's like, well, I already knew I wanted to hire you before I called you, but you know, I just kind of wanted to see how you were going to handle, you know, uh, all my questions. And so we ended up taking on the business. And today this is five years ago. It is by far exponentially our largest client. It has grown over and over. Every month it grows larger, they have more budget, they add more business units to our work. We now have um, staff working in 14 cities across the country because of this account. Um, and so I always remind myself, like if I hadn't taken that meeting, my first gut was to be like, nah I'm good. But I took the meeting and I took the account. And ever since then I've kind of had this personal mantra of it doesn't matter if you don't want the business, you should still take the meeting. And so I will and it's almost always in person. I'll meet for at least an hour and have a cup of coffee. And what's been crazy is ever since I started doing that five years ago, I'll have meetings with people and I'll say to them, hey, you know, we're not taking on new clients right now, but I'd love to just give you some free strategy and I'll introduce you to some great you know, PR teams that you might be able to work with. And I would say at least 20 times over the past five years, I've gotten out of the blue calls, someone saying, oh, um, you know, I wanted to talk to you about working with us. And I'll say, well, how did you hear about us? And they'll say, Oh, well, so-and-so mentioned that you had coffee with them two years ago, and that if they could have hired anybody, they would have hired Feed Media. And I think to myself, like, I didn't even work with that person. But just that one-hour coffee and giving a little bit of free advice and connecting that person with somebody good has breeds so much goodwill that two years after having a one-hour coffee, multiple times people have called and said, so-and-so said you met with him and that you weren't taking on clients back then, but if he could have worked with anybody, it would have been you guys. So... To agency owners, I always say, I know it seems like a waste of time, but for our agency, just that one hour, you know, two or three times a month has given us so many opportunities and so many referrals and so much inbound business that I would not have expected if I hadn't experienced it for myself.
0: So you always take the meeting... Are there, is there ever cases where you get inbound leads or inquiries where you're like, this isn't a good fit? Or do you pretty much always at least give them an initial kind of, hey, what's up? And if we can provide value, that's great. If we're not taking clients, we'll tell you that. Do you always provide that upfront?
1: Okay. Well, there there are certainly circumstances where like somebody <laughs> goes
0: to our website
1: and submits like the contact form and it's like, uh, I just got out of jail and I want to write a book and I need a PR team. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good.
0: Okay. Like, there, okay, you know, cool. Some, there's so so there's some
1: crazies where I'm like, that's a no. So, so there's <laughs> some no.
0: constraints over this, but I think what I, what I heard you say, <laughs> yeah. and I just want to make sure that, cause I could just imagine I'm going to get an email in like. Three months from somebody who's like, Brent, I've taken every meeting and my life is ruined, right? So I just want to make sure that our, our audience has clear instructions here. Okay. And I think what I'm hearing from you too is like, uh, especially on what you were saying is your core business strategy around referrals. So if somebody refers somebody to you and you're not even sure, or if it's, you know, if it's coming through the network, if you will, and it's somebody that you're not a hundred percent sure on, but it's like, Mm, you know, take take that meeting. Even if your guts like I'm too busy, even if you're not taking on clients, but those you know the inbound inquiries that just seem obviously like a waste of time. We're not you're not you're not advocating that type of, of, of approach to this. But if it's a, if it's from a referral, always take the meeting. Or or um, you yeah, know, if something it's close a referral,
1: yes. But even if it's like uh, you know, so as you, you did a great job of introducing us at the outset, and you kind of said we have these four areas of expertise. So if it's outside of those four areas, it's really not something that we would be good at. Like, uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of something like, um, you know, if somebody's going to launch like a new solar backpack, right? Like we don't really have expertise in outdoor gear, but instead of telling that person that right out of the gate, I'd be like, I'd love to meet with you, right? And we have a cup of coffee. And I'm like, this is insane. It's so creative. You know, I could totally see a full page feature on this in the front of the book section of Outside Magazine. You know, have you seen that? It would be a great placement for this. And, and I'll say, you know, I don't think that we're probably the best fit for you. Um, Not because you're not an amazing product, but probably because we don't have the expertise you need. But I'll tell you what, I know two PR firms that would probably do a great job for you. Let me make introductions. And the person goes, Oh my God, that is so awesome. That's so nice of you, right? So that product is interesting to me. And that industry is interesting to me. But even if I know we have zero ability to take on new business, I'll say to the person, Hey, you know what? I am so sorry. We are at maximum capacity with clients right now, but I would be happy to meet with you and give you some free advice, free counsel, right? And so that just the offer of like, I don't want anything from you, but I'm willing to give you something. is so, It's so unnerving to the person that's called you that like over time, they'll say, i got to tell you, like I, Brent Weaver couldn't work with me, but he met with me and just gave me all this insight. And if I could have worked with anybody, it would have been him. Like that's powerful, right? Even if it's just your reputation, if reputationally you're the person that helps and supports and gives back like that's it's a, in our business. Cause we're, you know, in PR, we're only services. I don't have a product. You know, I don't create anything. It's just, you know, who we are and what we do just reputationally to have a reputation as somebody who, even if you can't take the business is willing to help is really powerful. And it's helped us over and over, probably six times a year, I get an inbound call from somebody who got referred by somebody I never worked with. And so, you know, for a long time, I would just decline. I'd be like, yeah, we're not taking on new business, so I'm not going to meet with you. And then after this one event five years ago, which totally changed our business, I was like, hey, I wonder how many times I turned down a piece of new business thinking it wasn't a good fit or wasn't for us. And it could have been the game changer.
0: That's really cool. Stephanie, this has been awesome. I love hearing about that uh, strategy, just around just generosity and, and helping to deliver value and taking the meeting. Uh, I also it was really cool to hear about your model and get a little little a little uh, uh, break in on what, what the heck PR is. I think thank you for sharing that. Are you ready for our uh, our lightning round? I'm ready. <laughs> what is the best advice <laughs> you've ever received? Never lie. That's a good one.
1: Seriously. My mom, my mom was big on not lying. And even when it's really hard in in business or in personal, but in business in particular, uh, just never lie because you get caught in it. You get stuck in it. You can't unwrap your way around it. It's better to be honest and maybe not have it be the most popular thing than it is to lie. And then people don't trust you. I think that's, that's the best advice they ever got.
0: Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success?
1: Um, I would say, um, intuition, um, by which I mean, um, I think I have a knack for understanding what people need, uh, in my world, you know, there's a lot of like, someone might say, what I really want from PR is to drive new business. But after you talk to them for a while, you realize what they really want is for their mom to read about them in the wall street journal. And so you have to kind of intuit kind of what is he saying he wants and what does he actually want and then figure out how to serve both of those masters. So for me, intuition has always been something that I mean, I don't have to be financially smart. I don't have to uh, be awesome at writing, but I have to be intuitive enough to understand exactly what our clients want and know how to deliver it
0: can you share an internet resource or a tool or app that you use on a regular basis that you think our listeners would find valuable?
1: Um, So I'm going to go old school because this is something I use all the time. Um, I love Google alerts. I know it's so old school, but for your listeners, what's really interesting is we set up Google alerts for our clients all the time. So whenever our clients are mentioned in the news, you know, you set it up to be a news, we get delivered that email saying, hey, so-and-so is mentioned in the news. But more interestingly is setting up Google alerts about your competitors. So we do that for our clients as well. So we'll look at our clients' top five competitors and set up Google alerts. And then every day you get an email saying, hey, your competitor was in the news. And you get to see like, how are they positioning themselves? What are they saying about themselves? How do we take that message and make it 20% better? So it's like the, the, the most legal way of spying on your competition that there is. And it's so lazy man's way of keeping track it gets delivered to your inbox. You don't even have to go out and look for it. So uh, we also use a much, much more formalized tool of that. It's called Cision and it's extremely expensive and it's like a PR industry tool, but Cision is kind of like um, Google alerts on steroids, but Google alerts, we still use them because sometimes Cision doesn't deliver things fast enough or that it misses some things. And so I would say like that's, that's what we use constantly to keep track of our clients and also their competition.
0: And what book would you recommend and why?
1: Um, I, I, one of my favorite business books and Brent, you may have given it to me and I'm going to be so embarrassed if you're like, yeah, that's my book. I give you that, but (laughs) it's a book called rework. Did you read that?
0: Uh huh. I think, yeah, it's a 37 signals Uh, book. It's a what? 37 signals rework. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. The guys who founded 37 Mm -hmm. signals. Yes. Called rework. I just loved it. I thought it was so interesting. It really kind of it made me look at what I was doing in my business. Like I was doing things in my business because I had done them in previous businesses. Like you know formalized meetings, but not because we had anything to talk about, just because we wanted to meet every week and things that just kind of helped me look at how I was running the business and why some of those things were really wrong. It just kind of flipped me on my head. And that was just one that I, whenever somebody says, what's your favorite like book that kind of changed your business, I always point to that one.
0: Nice. Well, I'm, I'll i take credit for it. Whether I gave it to you or not, I'll take credit for giving it to you. So you're welcome.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did. I'm pretty sure you gave me this book and I read it and I loved it. You you gave me all the best book recommendations because you are such a voracious reader. I'd pick like one out of seven that you'd read. I'd be like, which one was the best? Because I can't read all of them. <laughs> You read everything, but I am positive you gave me this book. And it really, to this day, and that was probably like five years ago, four years ago. It's my favorite business book. So thank you for that.
0: Nice. How can our uh, audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have they can check out?
1: Um, yeah, feedmedia.com. So it's F-E-E-D media.com. That's our website. Uh, we're um, I'm Steph Jones PR on Instagram. And it's Feed media on Instagram. So you can check us out there. We've got a Facebook page. Um, but if anybody has any follow-up questions or wants to you know, talk further about challenges they're having, like I said, I, I give lots of free strategic counsel. So they're welcome to reach out to me through the contact page on our website.
0: Awesome. Well, we will link out to your social accounts as well as uh, your website in our show notes at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. We'll also have some high-level key takeaways, uh, and more goodies for you there. So check that out. If you want to get links to, uh, rework the book recommendation or any of the other websites and tools that Stephanie mentioned on this episode, check that out. You forward slash podcast. Stephanie, thank you so much for hanging out with us today.
1: I really enjoyed it. I really, you know, I'll, I'll hang out and talk to you anytime, Brent. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. That's our program for this week. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming at you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode.